You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. In continuing our series of conversations on the books of the Bible, today we discuss the third book of the Torah, Leviticus. Now, many readers have struggled to make it through the book of Leviticus, its detailed laws and regulations, but Pastor Jim helps explore why the book matters, its critical themes for the Bible, and how if you read and pay careful attention, the Old Testament regulations can even point you to Christ. They can help you grow in your faith, which I think you'll see in our conversation today. I always enjoy these conversations. I think this one will be particularly helpful if you've ever struggled with the book of Leviticus. Thanks for listening. Pastor Jim, great to sit down together again. And uh, as we've been doing this series of conversations, uh, taking an episode for each book of the Bible, people have really been clamoring for a discussion on Leviticus. You know, that's oh, yeah. been the They've one. Been waiting for this people one. have been just asking and posting, when Leviticus, when Leviticus. So we're going to do our best to uh, uh, spend a whole conversation, one per book of the Bible. Leviticus is our conversation today, and uh, it is the it is the place where reading plans go to die. I understand. Yeah, go to so, die. What, uh, what do they say? The 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 wagons full of good Bible reading intentions. More wagons are broken down in the wilderness <laughs> yes. of Leviticus than anywhere else. Well, we'll see if we can sort out a <laughs> yeah. little bit. The book of Leviticus, give us a little bit of an introduction, um, kind of what it includes, where it is in the Bible, and kind of how it's functioning within the biblical text. Well, you know, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, tribe of Levi, were set apart to do the priestly work. So literally, um, Leviticus literally means relating to the Levites. So so the Levites called to the priestly ministry and the service of the temple, um, whereas Exodus really focuses on temple and law. Um, Leviticus focuses on worship. worship. Worship is becoming incredibly important in the New Testament, you know, in the life of the 21st century church. Again, there's been a whole resurgence of worship and think we feel new winds of the Holy Spirit. What we find in Leviticus would be some pictures of that that become realized in Jesus, but it's very much Old uh, Old Testament Levitical worship. Um, what kind? Like like the first few chapters are are it, it just starts right out like with the kinds of offerings that are to be offered whether it be the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offerings, um, you know, the sin offering, the uh, all of these different kinds of offerings are are itemized for us and described in the first five books, uh, chapters of the book. And um, so it's, it's like, a, you can understand why Bible reading starts breaking down here. You know, and let me just say something, it might, might be good if we just said something about Bible reading. I don't know how you coach people to read scripture and survive books like Leviticus. I shouldn't say survive, but, but you know, I, I sometimes will say to people, no matter where you're on the Bible, it, at least, at least every page of the Bible probably answers one or more of three questions. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? And what does this tell me about how God wants to relate to me. And I don't know, that's just been my simple minded kind of way of trying to encourage people 
when, when it gets to these sections that describe a kind of Levitical Jewish worship that we don't do today. We worship in the new covenant, which Jesus said would be in spirit and truth. It's not, you, you, you know, you worship in this location in this way. Um, so anyway, to help people relate to that, I, that's sometimes how I describe a good way to read the Bible. At least for every page, look for the answer to one of those questions. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful framework. So, and remembering too that, um, you know, I'll sometimes encourage people that sometimes the Bible is hard reading. You know, that it doesn't. I don't yeah, think we any of good. us get to a point where every page I open becomes devotionally inspiring and right. uplifting. And, um, but but what happens here in books like Leviticus frames so much of the conversations that the prophets are having, that Jesus is having with Pharisees in his day. And so, if you want to understand in a deep and a rich way, the rest of the Bible, then it does take a little bit of discipline sometimes to work through. And that doesn't mean you have to, you know, lock yourself in a room and for a year read nothing but Leviticus, but uh, but work your way through it. And if you, you know, if some of it doesn't make sense, that's all right, come back around to it again and, and you know, treat it with a level of discipline we would, any hobby yeah. we were trying to improve at or any taste we were trying to acquire that it is hard going in some places, but, but for good reason. So. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And it's, it's worth the hard work. Yep. to get through it, because uh, then you start discovering nuggets. Um, anecdotally, I need to tell a story. I pastored a church in Southern California, and my predecessor was Dr. George Wood, who's passed away now, but he later became the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And back in the days when he pastored that church 17 years before I'd gotten there, and uh, he he was he had become like a nationally acclaimed expositional Bible teacher. I mean, he was incredibly good. And when I went there, you know how you have these sort of, not myths, but you have these sort of legendary stories that kind of shape people's perception of the culture of their church. And the one I think I heard most often was that Dr. Wood, on two different times in his 17 years, preached through Leviticus. And and the amazing thing was, I think the second time he did it, the church grew both times. And I think the second time he went through, it's like the church doubled in size over the several months that he he took them through Leviticus. And and, uh, and there was an interesting story of um, how he got to Leviticus 13 and 14, which talk about skin diseases and things, because they were dealing with how to treat some of the medical things and and what's clean, what's unclean ritually. It's all kind of related to the worship life. And uh, there's a story of of a guy who had a skin disease. He and his wife visited the church for the first time that Sunday. Here's the pastor preaching out of Leviticus 13 and 14, of all things. Uh, but w- during the altar call, when they had people come up to pray with prayer workers if they had needs, he went up and if, if God didn't heal him of that skin disease that Sunday morning, and um, and then, you know, it goes on to uh, bodily discharges in the next chapter or two. And I think Dr. Wood, I think they told me he had some, came up with some title like, God even knows all about your plumbing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, it, there's a certain brilliance to be able to uh, apply this. But, but uh, I, I kind of gained a new respect for Leviticus just hearing these stories that have sort of shaped the culture of that church in an era before I was there. 
Yeah, I, so I have preached through the book of Levit- oh, Leviticus you have. once, and I took it pretty thematically. So I, I would take big sections. So we might do, you know, a grouping of some of the festival days or the sacrifices. And um, but uh, my church did not double. I can say that. So I didn't have that effect on me. I'm not not quite the same preacher. Um, but what I do find is um, there can be a temptation in us to sort of scoop past the hard things too quickly. And what I found was there was a lot of people in my congregation that have been Christians for years and trying to read their Bible seriously for years and just appreciated having some help with hard passages. You know, yeah. was it was it revival season at Bent Oak Church going through Leviticus? That was not my experience. But I think the discipline of us as a congregation trying to say, we want to learn this so that we can understand other parts of Scripture in new ways. I think yeah, that was really, so good. it was yeah. helpful for people. So, And I hear a lot that people enjoyed some of those yeah. times where we worked through those passages yeah. that most of us wouldn't normally preach on. I probably won't do again, you know, anytime soon. So. No, but I bet you were giving us some great tools for understanding this and how it helps us leverage our understanding of the rest of Scripture. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you have uh, major themes you think are important for Leviticus, if somebody is reading through it, just to be watching out for, thinking about? Yeah, uh, first, I mean, I would summarize Leviticus in one word, and that's worship. And uh, that's I think that's the, a really good way of framing the book, because I don't think that's the word most people would say, right? I mean, I, for me, holiness comes to mind, right. but you're recognizing that it's more than just what we do. Yes. Yeah. It's our whole responding to God and the offerings we make. So, the, again, the first few chapters, what we offer to God. and and um, and um and and he does get to holiness in a really important way that has to do with their national identity. But but I I think the overarching word that captures the whole book is worship. How worship's the atmosphere of heaven. Worship is what we do when we work hard at our jobs because we're doing it for Jesus. Uh, worship is what Brother Lawrence talked about when he'd cook omelets for the brothers in the monastery. And they would leave, he'd clean the kitchen, then he'd lie on the floor and adore God for the sheer privilege of making omelets for him. You know, when everything we do in our life is for him, uh, that, you know, all of life is an act of worship. Loving my wife as I ought is an act of worship. Um, And, uh, you know, pacing my house, listening to worship music, and just spending time in God's presence. That's worship a little more, a little more directly in the ways we're familiar with, but worship's our life. Worship is, is life. My brother-in-law leads a whole ministry called worship is life. And uh, so I, I love that idea, but then it is about holiness and a lot of, you know, you scratch your head saying all these rules, you know, but all kinds of little things and whether it's not sewing two kinds of cloth together in the same garment or, not boiling a goat in milk. And I mean, you go, what on earth? So a, a lot of people have had a lot of theories and, and actually there was good, good basic health and nutrition guidance given here. I mean, there's some good health principles in it, but the thing that probably helped me most in Leviticus was to realize that God is asking them to do the opposite of what the Canaanites did. And they would, of course, be taking the land from the Canaanites when they get to the promised land. They'd be surrounded. God's always warning them, do not do what those pagan nations do. You know, it's going to take you down. You know, it's going to ruin you. It's going to take my blessing off your lives. Don't go there. And 
And God's trying to say, you're holy, which means set apart. You're, you are separate. And, and I don't, I don't know if this is radical, but I think some of the commandments didn't have any particular spiritual positives or negatives to them. It's just that they were doing something opposite to what the nations around them were doing. And they were defining themselves under God's law as being set apart unto God. And, uh, you know, there may not be a lot of logic to not mixing two kinds of material in one garment, but, but it's not what the Canaanites did. They always did that. So Israel was told not to do that, to keep reminding them that they're distinct. Now, when we preach, we say to people, you know, you got to come out of the world. We can't be worldly. You know, we're, we're, we're called, we're set apart from the world We're we have a different value system. Holiness means being set apart to God. I had a really helpful experience like that with um, when I went to Israel. Uh, I went with Doctor Wave Nunley, who yes. goes to your church. Just one of one of my favorite Bible teachers right. has helped me on so many passages of Scripture. And we were at Qumran, one of the Essene communities that's really sort of living this separate separatedness to the extreme. And I think we were actually talking about. Um, uh, they had their own practices for using the restroom. So they had their own sort of ways of cleaning up and way towards cleanliness that they associated with holiness. And a lot of people in the group were kind of laughing at like, you know, some of these can get pretty extreme, these these ways of living that are so holy, so set apart, and what in the world? And so Dr. Nunley and I got talking about it afterwards, and I was asking him about like, these sometimes these Levitical rules can seem so different from one another. Like, how do they relate? Why Why do they come up with and he was helping me understand that though some of these may be, as you're saying, lost to us, the distinctive or set-apartness, that probably for them there was a, a whole picture of these things that had to do with, with life. So they're in a culture of death, a world of death, even sometimes the sacrifices of the pagans around them yes, were through right. you know, the human sacrifice. Human sacrifice, yeah. And that they would have seen in the, the sacredness of how they're handling blood, for instance, when they're slaughtering an animal, how they're draining that blood or disposing of that blood, all the way to bodily fluids, to even the clothing that they're wearing or the way that they're washing, that there is, though, though you can't simply read every rule and say, oh, this is the point on each, that collectively there probably would have been a sense for yeah. an Israelite practicing these laws of, of life or the sacredness of life within these laws and the yeah. need to protect and keep that life pure and clean Right. because of its sacredness. Yeah, and that, respect it. Yeah, yeah, and so part of that is, uh, when we read Leviticus, again, it's really easy to sort of be like, oh, come on, you know, give me a break. Like, seriously, like that kind of, we almost think that it's too much, right? Like, you're so many laws you're piling on people. But for somebody practicing them, there probably would have been for them a sense of, this is a, a sacred way of living. This yeah. is a, a a protected way of, of, of recognizing life and the sacredness of life and a culture that surrounds me that's pagan and tends to reject the sacredness of life, that all of these roles would have locked together into a kind of whole life or a whole image yeah. of life for that's them. That's very insightful, yeah. And the whole defines something we respect, we protect, we... Uh, and is is part of becomes part of our identity. Yeah, that's yeah. really so. Even down to you know, perhaps there's something with the animals that eat other animals are unclean, but the animals that don't. I mean, there's something going on even with although it's not totally perfect that way. There's they're 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 associating the actions of animals with cleanliness related to life, and blood has an element of life, and water, of course, the idea of living water, flowing water, has an association with life. There's something going on across these images that's really life-centered or life-focused, the sacredness of life. Exactly. And that actually, you know, you're asking what, what are the kind of the governing themes here, worship, holiness, uh, 
in the defining of life. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say was blood, mm-hmm. you know, because this becomes really clear, like in Leviticus 17.11, where you see it really explicitly stated, the life is in the blood, and without the blood, there's no atonement for sin. And then Hebrews 9.22 parallels that directly, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So um, there's a blood theme, as gory as that sounds, but... Yeah, which is part of what makes it hard. We see it starts. as gory, right? Yeah, so right. That's yeah. part of what complicates the image, even in some of our hymns, you know, right? being washed in the blood. It seems so, that seems gory, which in our mind, blood is associated with like violence or right. death or crime, which, you yeah. know, there's a sense of that in scripture, but it's also, there's a sacredness and a life, the life force or flow in a person, the life in a person is represented in that image of the blood, which starts to help make more sense of that image from a Jewish perspective. Yeah, exactly. In fact, the idea that the shedding of blood is the losing of life. It's almost synonymous with just saying they died. And so um, uh, so life and blood, uh, pretty pretty potent there. And uh, And so, you know, you're right. Sometimes I wonder, people come in and we sing worship songs like, we've never read the Old Testament, and people are pretty biblically illiterate these days. Uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God, you know. Why do we call him the Lamb? And then we start, you know, there's power, power, power in the blood. And if you had no point of reference in the Old Testament, you would wonder what on earth is wrong with these people. But it's one of the things we hold most precious, that Jesus shed his blood. There's power in the blood to wash us clean and actually not just remind us of what we ought to do, but give us a nature to do it. And um, and the blood of Jesus is at the heart of the gospel. And, and he shed his blood so that we could belong to him, be forgiven and come under his rule and be a part of his kingdom that's coming. And uh, so Leviticus sets the stage for that. I mean, we see it in Exodus 2, uh, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The angel of death will pass over the whole idea of Passover, um, that we're protected from death by the blood of the lamb, uh, of the lambs that were slaughtered. Uh, I mean, it's all there. And it even goes back to, to Genesis with Abraham and Isaac and God provides his own sacrifice. He won't let Abraham uh, sacrifice his own son, but God reserves that privilege to sacrifice his own son uh, for the shedding of blood. And um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. But the narrative kind of builds with even more specific description in Leviticus. Um, do you have any passages or sections of Leviticus that have been meaningful to you? Anything worth sort of calling out? Yeah, actually there is. It's in the very last chapter. I'm really going to sound one like down as well. So yeah, I'm really going to sound like a pastor here, <laughs> with possibly an agenda. But um, verse thirty of Leviticus twenty-seven: a tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. So you try to get around this, and it's going to cost you more. But um, the idea of the tithe. So people will say to me, well, pastor, you shouldn't encourage people to tithe because that's the Old Testament law. It's right there in Leviticus. 
uh, <clears throat> and we don't need to obey that any more than we sh- we shouldn't boil a goat in milk or something like that. So you know what? Uh, yeah, maybe. But then I remember Genesis. In Genesis, we see Abraham experienced a supernatural military victory. And on the way back, he runs into Melchizedek, who is a clear picture of Christ, uh, king of Salem, which is peace, uh, prince of peace, and he is both, uh, a, a, and he is a king. And it's Jesus who combines king and priest in one office. Uh, they were separated under the law. So Melchizedek becomes this picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And Abraham gives him a tenth of the spoil uh, as as Melchizedek offers him the cup and the bread of all things, just like Jesus did. And so he, he gives a tenth. Then Jacob, uh, his grandson, is heading off on his own, and uh, and he has a dream uh, and, and sees a ladder to heaven. He says, God, if you will help me in this next very risky part of my life and you'll guide me, I'll give you a tenth of everything you prosper me with. So a friend of mine, Pastor Rob Ketterling, he likes to say, hearts touched by God, respond with a tenth. Hearts touched by God, respond with a tenth. But this, that came a long, long time before Leviticus. It came a long, long time before the law was codified under Moses. And uh, so I look at the tithe as a principle, not a law. It's such a powerful principle that it was codified and related to God's holiness. So the tithes from everything in the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And I don't know, I, that verse always impacts me. I mean, I've tithed all my life, but but it still has impact. I mean, hearts touched by God respond with a tenth. That's a very powerful pr- principle. Yeah, it's really interesting that Leviticus is, although some of the specific regulations may be, may be contextual to this moment, it is still in its whole incorporating some of these principles that are bigger than just the regulations themselves. This yes. sacrificial giving, this tenth is part of that. Certainly right. this idea of blood that we've seen even before, that that Leviticus is in a very specific way collecting together these this image of these principles that are existing even around it. Exactly. You wouldn't say, well, worship is, is in Old Testament Levitical no. law either, would you? Our holiness being set apart, you know? So... Um, yeah, there, there are these principles. They're codified in specific behaviors with a lot of other rituals and processes and and in purity prescriptions. But um, but there is core principle and truth and revelation here that's slowly unfolding for us. Yeah, I uh, I wrote down a passage too, um, Leviticus twenty two. It's at the end as well, thirty one, which I think it kind of helps build Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus together. But um, Leviticus twenty two thirty one. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord, and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Oh, that's good. I love that passage, yeah. just that repeated refrain of I am the Lord. Yeah. You know, as we've been talking about these books, I think the word you gave Genesis was creation. The word you gave Exodus was deliverance. Mm-hmm. I think I think you've helped me see certainly holiness is a part of this, but really the word of Leviticus is worship. But by it, we have to mean this kind of holy, 
all-encompassing, life-defining, sacred worship that he is the Lord and all things fall under that being set apart, being sanctified in worship to him. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that defines it all. He, He, it starts with him and ends with him. Life is with him. And, uh, so we, we revere him as the Lord and, um, He's always reminding of that, of that, isn't he? He's just constantly reminding us he's the Lord. That's a very powerful scripture. I haven't been a while since I've read Leviticus, and uh, that that's a very powerful passage. Yeah, right it's there. one of my favorites. Well written yeah. as well. God too, help so. us remind. He is about him. He's the Lord. Uh, maybe we can make that our prayer. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I don't know the blend of the shirt that you're currently wearing. If it's mixed fibers or not, or if you had uh, if you had cheese on your hamburger at lunch today, which yeah. is not kosher. Uh, but I do want, in all seriousness, I, sure. I want the way that I live, I want it to be sanctified and set apart. I want it to be holy, not just not just as a means of earning something or achieving something, but as, a, as an act of worship, as an act. I think what Leviticus is getting at in this passage, as a way of recognizing to, to God's people, but to the world as well, that he is Lord and he is holy and there's no part of my life that doesn't fall under his holiness, that isn't offered to him as an act of worship. Um I, I want my walk with him to be more than Sunday morning worship. I want it to yes. be even more than just, you know, morning devotional worship. Uh, I want to make decisions and live and tithe and give and yeah. act in such a way that all of it is his. Everything to him. Thank you, Lord. You are worthy. You are the Lord. Thank you. You constantly remind us. You're always saying, you who, come on, I'm the Lord. And Lord, help us to keep reorienting ourselves in a worshipful lifestyle to you. Help us to honor you with our possessions. Help us to honor you with our allegiance and our obedience. Help us to honor you with our affections. Help us to honor you, O God, with all of our hearts and souls and minds. Help us, as you told us, to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and soul and mind and strength. Lord, thank you that we get to serve you. Thank you you're in front, not us. Thank you we're just following you, that you're charting the way. Thank you you're worthy of all the praise and adoration of the heavenly hosts and and of your created order and of us who are created in your image, that we get to respond back to you in worship and adoration, offering to you all of our lives and all of our actions and all of our allegiance. Thank you, Lord. We, 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 we say yes to you again. Yes, you are the Lord. Yes, you have first place in our lives. Yes, there is no one else like you. Yes, you are wondrous and beautiful and glorious beyond anyone we've known and anything we could imagine. And you are the Lord. We bow and worship before you today and thank you and worship you and love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.